1337, England and France began what has become known as the 100 Years War. It went on for a little over 100 years. Toward the end of that war, as France was defeated and demoralized, there was this young peasant girl. She was illiterate. She was a teenager who felt like God had given her a vision to rally the French troops. And she did just that. She rallied the French troops and she led the French army into battle and liberated the French city of Orleans. After that, she led the French troops into several other victories until she was captured by the English. She was put before a mock trial. She was declared a witch and she was burned at the stake. Her name was Joan of Arc. And she believed that God had given her a purpose in life. And that purpose was to lead the French people to victory and to liberation. Whatever you think about Joan of Arc, what you have to acknowledge is that she was a woman of courage. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me this morning to Esther and we're going to look at what I believe is another woman of courage. Last week, we began a three-part series that we've entitled Strong Women of the Bible. And we began by looking at Sarah. And Pastor Stephen did an incredible job of telling us Sarah's story. And he let us know that Sarah was a woman of faith. In spite of her doubts... In spite of having to wait for God's promises to come true for over 25 years, she was a woman of faith, great faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 11 says it was by faith that Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. You see, we need to remember that faith is not the absence of, of doubt. Faith is moving forward and walking with God in spite of our doubts. And Pastor Stephen also told us last week that God is always on time. And that's why it takes faith. You see, God doesn't operate on our timetable. He doesn't do things during the time that we want him to do these things. He does them in the time that he needs to do them. And so Sarah was a, a woman of faith. But today I want us to see that Esther was a woman of courage. You see, strong women are women of faith. And strong women are women of courage. Now, throughout the Bible, we are told to be courageous, to have courage. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31, verse 6, it says, So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. In 1 Chronicles 28, verse 20, we are told, be strong and courageous. Do the work. Don't be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you. He will not forsake you. Over and over again in the Bible, we are told to be courageous, to have courage. But the question is, what is courage? Some people have the idea that courage is the absence of fear. If I'm courageous, then I'm not going to be afraid. But that's the furthest thing from the truth. 
Have you ever heard of Eddie Rickenbacker? Eddie Rickenbacker was a real-life American hero. In World War I, he was the most decorated soldier in, in the American army. He received more medals of valor than anyone else. He had more air victories against the Germans than anyone else. During World War II, his plane crash-landed into the Pacific, and he was adrift in the ocean for 24 days. When you study his life, you would think that this man was fearless. You would think that he had no fear. But that's not what Eddie Rickenbacker said. He said, courage is doing what you're afraid to do. And then he said this, there is no courage without fear. Did you hear that? There is no courage Without fear. You see, courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is doing what you're supposed to do, what God wants you to do in spite of fear. The Oxford, Oxford Dictionary defines courage as the ability to do something that frightens you. In other words, courage is when you don't let your fear stop you. But through God's power and grace, you have this ability to overcome your fear. So I want us to take a look at Esther and see how she was a woman of courage. But before we do, we're going to have to look a little bit before she was born. You see, because of their disobedience, the Jews, God's chosen people, were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And for 70 years, almost every Jew, but the poorest of the poor, lived in captivity. But when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, King Cyrus issued this decree allowing some of the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. But there were other Jews that decided to stay in Persia, like Daniel, who became an advisor to the king, like Nebuchadnezzar, who was a cupbearer to the king, and like Esther, who became the queen of an empire. Now, Esther was just a young Jewish orphan being raised by our cousin Mordecai. Mordecai adopted Esther as his own family when her parents died. Now at the time of Esther, the king of Persia was a man by the name of Xerxes. If you've ever seen the movie 300, the people that the Spartans fought against, that was Xerxes. Xerxes was a real life man who was wicked and vicious and evil. We are told that his kingdom went from Ethiopia all the way to India. He was a powerful man. Now, as the book of Esther begins, Xerxes is having this celebration. And the celebration lasts for six months. And he invites all of the leaders, all of the nobles of Persia together. And for six months they celebrate. And then at the end of that celebration, Xerxes throws a party to end all parties. He opens up the liquor cabinet. He opens up the wine cabinet. And the alcohol flows freely. And the men drink and drink and drink until they are all liquored up. Including Xerxes. And toward the end of the seven days, Xerxes decides that he's going to call his wife Vashti out because she was a beautiful woman. And he was going to have her parade before all the men. 
God only knows what he wanted her to do because he was such an evil, wicked man. But Vashti refused. She refused to come out. And so Xerxes, in all of his humiliation and all of his anger, asked all of his nobles, all of his advisors what he should do. And they said, you need to banish her. You need to remove her as queen, and you need to find another queen. So Xerxes did that. And from one end of the kingdom to the other, from Ethiopia to to India, they began this process of bringing together all of the most beautiful young virgins in his entire kingdom. Now, understand, these ladies weren't entering into a beauty contest. They were being taken into slavery to do whatever this wicked king told them to do. One of the young ladies that was taken to enter into this contest to be the next queen was Esther, Mordecai's young cousin. Now, Mordecai told Esther when she was taken away, don't tell anybody that you're a Jew. And so for months and months and months, they began this process of beauty treatments where they gave these women all the beauty treatments that any woman could ever want. And at the end of that time, they began to parade these women out before the king. And this is what the Bible says when Esther came before the king. It says the king loved her more than any other young woman. He was so delighted that he put the royal crown on her head and she became queen. Here was Esther. She was simply a peasant Jewish girl who was now the queen of the Persian Empire. But remember, no one knew that she was a Jew. Now, in the meantime, her cousin Mordecai, he began working on the palace grounds. And one day, he heard this plot to assassinate Xerxes. And he got a message to Xerxes about the plot. And and because he gave that message to them, Xerxes' life was saved. Now, let's change gears for just a minute. There's another man here in this story. His name was Haman. He was a noble, and and Xerxes put him second in command of all of Persia. And he was a wicked man as well. But he was also full of pride. And the king commanded that everyone bow down before Haman to show him respect. And everyone did. But Mordecai. Mordecai had determined that he would not bow down to anyone but God. And so when Haman came by, Mordecai would not bow, Mordecai would not bend, and Haman was humiliated, he was angry, he was upset. He wanted to kill Mordecai, but he didn't want to just kill Mordecai. He wanted to completely annihilate the race of Mordecai. So he went before the king. And he said, there is this race of people in your kingdom that are separate from everyone else. They they won't integrate into our society. And, And they have their own laws and they won't follow your laws. And if they continue as part of the kingdom, I am convinced that they will lead to the downfall of the kingdom. All of these people need to be put to death. And if you give me the word, I will pay the money to make sure that every single one of them is put to death throughout your entire kingdom. 
Now imagine what Haman is about to do. He's wanting to kill every single Jew on the planet because of his pride, because of his arrogance. Well, Xerxes didn't care. He was an evil, wicked man. So he gave Haman permission to do what he wanted to do. He gave him a seal, giving him permission to do that. On a certain day in the future, every Jew in the kingdom would be put to death. When Mordecai heard this, and all the rest of the Jews heard this, you can imagine they began to mourn and wail and weep, and they started fasting. Mordecai began to wear burlap, put ashes on him, and was fasting. And, and in the meantime, Esther was in the palace. She didn't know anything that was going on. She was sequestered from all of this stuff. And, and she heard that Mordecai was in mourning, and so she sent a messenger to ask him, why are you in mourning? And the messenger came back and and gave Esther the message of what was going on and what was about to happen. And then Mordecai asked Esther to go to the king and plead for mercy. And that takes us to the first thing that we learn about Esther's courage. And that is this. Courage gives up. Now let me say before I say anything else. That sounds contradictory. That doesn't make sense. We don't think about courage as giving up. But before we can have true courage, courage that brings honor and glory to God, we must be willing to give up. Listen to what it says in chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. It says, Then Esther told Hathach to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in this inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come to him for 30 days. So Hakak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Mordecai sent this reply to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in this palace, you will escape from all the other Jews who are, or um, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go, gather together all the Jews in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. Now it's hard for us to understand the times in which Esther lived and the culture in which she was a part of. But women in that day, they had absolutely no rights and for Esther or for anyone else for that matter to go into the king's presence uninvited was risking death if you walked into the king's presence without him inviting you and he did not hold out his gold scepter to you you would immediately be put to death and it had been over 30 days since the king had called for Esther and so now she was faced with this choice. Will she stay in her comfortable position as queen? Or will she risk it all for the sake of her people? Now in any way you slice it, what Mordecai is asking Esther to do is risky. It could cost her her life. But listen, it's in moments like those 
that determine whether you're a person of courage or not. Did you hear me? It's in those moments that are risky, that may cost you everything, that will determine whether you are a woman or a man of courage. You see, Esther was willing to give up control. She was willing to give up control of the future, give up control of her circumstances, and even give up control of her life for the sake of her people. I want you to ponder the words that Esther said. She said, if I must die, I must die. You see, courage is willing to give up what you want to do. It's willing to give up being comfortable. It's willing to give up being safe for the sake of what God wants you to do. She was willing to step out and do what she knew needed to be done regardless of the outcome. And understand, this side of eternity, we're never promised an outcome. We know the final outcome. We know the eternal outcome. But we never know the outcome of the decisions and the choices and the stands we take this side of eternity. Esther didn't know what was going to happen. I love what Mordecai said. He said, perhaps God has placed you in, a, in this position for such a time as this. I think we would all agree that, that we are living in difficult times. We are hopefully, hopefully coming to the end of a global pandemic. Pandemic. We have political unrest, not only in our country, but we have political unrest all over the world. And we are living in a time of changing moral and cultural values like never before. But have you ever stopped to consider that God may have placed you at this time in history and at this place for such a time as this? Perhaps he wants you to give up control and step out with courageous faith and trust him. Perhaps God wants to use you like he used Esther to save his people. What I know is that a lot of people moan and groan and mourn and whine about what is going on. But I don't hear a lot of people asking God, God, what is it that you want me to do to make a difference in our world today? You see, courage gives up. Now, between chapters 4 and 5, we're told that the people begin to fast and pray before God for three days. Esther and her maids were praying to God. And then in chapter 5, we discover the second thing about Esther's courage, and that's this, courage stands up. Now listen to what it says in chapter 5, verse 1. On the third day of the feast, Esther put on her royal robes, entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne, facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. Wow, praise God, the gold scepter. My life has been spared. So Esther approached, touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. You see, Esther moves from willingness to action. 
she puts on her royal robes and goes into the inner court across from the throne. And when Xerxes sees her, he not only invites her in and accepts her, he offers to give her anything she wants up to half of the kingdom. That's a big deal. And so Esther's going, thank you, God. And so Esther says, well, what I want is for you and Haman, remember Haman, the evil, wicked guy, I want you and Haman to come to a banquet that I've prepared for you. And so Xerxes and Haman go to this banquet and they begin eating and Haman feels all great because he's been invited to this banquet with just the king and the queen. And then the king, Xerxes, asks Esther again, what do you want? I'll give it to you, whatever it is, up to half my kingdom. And she says, well, one, one more thing. Would you be willing to come to a banquet tomorrow that I want to prepare for you? And Haman. And when we have the banquet tomorrow, then I'll tell you what I want. And Xerxes said, sure. And he told Haman that Haman needed to go. And so Haman was on cloud nine. I mean, he's been to this banquet with the king and the queen. Now he's invited to this, this other banquet for the king and the queen. And, and he's on his way home. And as he's leaving the palace, everybody bows and bends before him. Except Mordecai. Mordecai's not going to bend to anyone but God. And so he gets angry again, and he asks his family, what should I do? And they said, you need to build a gallow, 75 feet tall, and impale Mordecai on that gallow. And so Haman says, that's a great plan. That's what I'm going to do. So he came up with his plan. But that night, Xerxes couldn't sleep. And so when he couldn't sleep, he got the, the history of the kingdom and began to read through it. And he got to the point where he... He read about how Mordecai had saved his life. And so he, he called in his advisors and he said, Hey, what did we ever do to honor Mordecai for saving my life? And they said, Well, we haven't done anything for him. And so the king called Haman and said, Haman, what would you do for a man that you want to honor? Well, Haman was filled with pride. He thought the king wanted to honor him. And so he came up with this elaborate plan of how he would be marched through the city and, and he would be honored by all people. And the king said, great, you do that for Mordecai. Can you imagine how Haman felt? Can you imagine how his bubble burst? He went home and he told his family and they said, this is not good. Well, the next morning he got up, he went to the feast and that's where I want you to learn the second thing about courage you see courage gives us the ability not just to give up but courage gives us the ability to stand up you see we will never make a difference until we stand up think about it for just a moment if Esther would have waited one day if he, she would have waited one day to go to the king Mordecai would have been impaled. If she wouldn't have stood up when she did, her cousin who raised her as his only child would have been put to death. Her willingness to stand up when she did spared his life. 
You see, giving up will never accomplish anything, will never make a difference until you stand up. We live in a day and age where fewer and fewer people are willing to stand up, willing to stand up against the cultural stream and the immorality of our day. We're willing to stand up against what our kids are being taught, even in our public schools. And I'm not bashing our schools, hear me. But you need to understand in schools all across America, our kids are being taught that gender is fluid, that you can change your gender. Our kids are being taught that homosexual sex is to be celebrated. Our kids are being taught that Christians who live by the Bible are bigots and racist and need to be condemned. And if you think I'm lying, just read the news and you will see what's going on. And all of this time, we're sitting back whining and mourning and wailing and going, oh my, this is awful, this is terrible, and yet we're not standing up. And it's time for us as believers to stand up. Esther didn't know what was going to happen when she decided to take a stand and go to the king. God delivered her. God showed her favor. Understand, when you take a stand, you aren't guaranteed the same end as Esther. Do you hear me? You don't need to think that if you take a stand for the Lord... That everything is going to go great with you and you're going to be celebrated and you're going to become powerful and rich and famous. You may lose your life. You may lose everything. But the question is, can you be true to your Lord without taking a stand? Courage gives up. Courage stands up. That takes us to the third thing we see in this story. and That is courage speaks up. Listen to what it says in chapter 7 verse 1. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet on the second occasion while they were drinking wine. The king again said to Esther, tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with you, king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet. For that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Esther replied, the wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and the queen. You see, we not only have to give up, we not only have to stand up, we have to be willing to speak up against what is wrong. Haman was second in command in the most powerful empire in the world at the time, Persia. And yet Esther was willing to confront his wickedness before the king. There's a book. It was written by Erwin Lutzer. Erwin Lutzer is the pastor emeritus at Moody Church in Chicago, Illinois. Moody Church is an inner city church in Chicago that has over 70 nationalities represented in that church. 
Erwin Lutzer is a, a great man of God, a, an incredible Bible teacher. And, and this book is about the, um, the day in which we're living today. It, the subtitle is Responding Courageously to Our Culture's Assault on Christianity. And I want to read to you something that he says in this book. He says, but I see much of contemporary Christianity submitting to the culture in many areas of life, especially in matters of sexuality. The only way to make Christianity appealing, we are told, is to move the markers, to be more inclusive, more affirming. I fear we are allowing culture to inform our thinking and even raise our children. Did you hear that? I'm afraid that we're allowing culture to inform our thinking and raise our children. And then he said something that to me was disturbing, but it's his perspective. I want you to listen to what he says. He says, we have crossed too many fault lines. Too many barriers have proven too weak to withstand media-driven cultural streams that have flooded our nation. The radicals know how to make themselves look good and make Christians look bad. I write not so much to reclaim the culture but to reclaim the church. Did you hear what he said? What he was saying is, it may be too late for our culture. We may have gone too far to rescue our culture. But what we can do is we can rescue the church, amen? Our day. And if we aren't willing to do that, then we aren't being courageous people of God. Courage gives up control, even of our life. Courage stands up against the cultural streams of the day. Culture speaks out even when it is dangerous. And the final thing we see is courage frees up. Our courage frees up other people to take a stand. Well, when the king heard this, the king impaled Haman on that pole that he had built for Mordecai. And the king gave a decree that the Jews would be able to defend themselves. And I want you to listen to what it says in chapter 8, verse 16 and following. It says, the Jews were filled with joy and gladness and were honored everywhere. In every province and city, wherever the king's decree arrived, the Jews rejoiced and had a great celebration and declared a public festival and holiday. And many of the people of the land became Jews themselves, for they feared what the Jews might do to them. So on March the 7th, the two decrees of the king were put into effect. On that day, the enemy of the Jews had hoped to overpower them. But quite the opposite happened. It was the Jews who overpowered their enemies. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the king's provinces to attack anyone who tried to harm them. But no one could make a stand against them, for, for everyone was afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the highest officers, the governors, and the royal officials helped the Jews for fear of Mordecai. For Mordecai had been promoted in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces as he became more and more powerful. So the Jews went ahead on the appointed day and struck down their enemies with the sword. They killed and annihilated their enemies and did as they pleased with those who hated them. Now listen, don't misunderstand. I'm not saying that we need to take those who we oppose and kill them and, and seek to annihilate them and abolish them because we are led by a greater law, and that's the law of love. We're to share the truth of God with love. But what I want you to understand is this. The courage of Esther 
freed up the courage of Jews everywhere to take a stand against those who wanted to kill them. You see, our courage is contagious. Billy Graham said this, when a brave man takes a stand, the spines of others are stiffened. A show of courage by any person encourages others. I want to ask you a question. When you look at our land today, and I don't think, I want you to hear me, I don't think you can be a Bible-believing Christian and not have a problem with our culture today. If you don't have a problem with our culture and where we're headed, something is wrong with your faith. And that's not a political statement. That is a biblical statement. Sin is sin, regardless of whether it's Republicans or Democrats or anybody else in between who is initiating it. But if you look at the culture of our day and you whine, and you mourn, and you cry, and you say, why, why, why? Maybe the problem is you're not listening to God, and you don't have courage. Because maybe, just maybe, God has planted each of us in history at this time for such a time as this. Who but knows what would happen if we as women and men of God begin to stand up and speak out against what is going on in our culture instead of being silent and letting it happen. We may not be able to change our culture, but we'll certainly change the church. And we may even rescue some of the people who are in the culture who become a part of the family. So what are you willing to do? Are you going to sit back in your house and watch the news and and whine about what's going on? Are you going to become a man or woman of courage? Maybe, maybe God's calling you to run for the school board. Maybe God's calling you to run for some other office. Maybe God is calling you to, to take some other kind of stand. I don't know. But I know that God is calling you to courageous faith in the midst of a declining culture. So will you. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. And this week I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to make a difference It could be in regard to abortion. It could be in regard to uh, premarital sex. It could be in regard to homosexuality. It could be in regard to all kind of other things that are infiltrating our culture today. But ask God, what is it you want me to do? Write it down. And then ask God to begin to show you how can you make that happen. And then have the courage to do it, whatever it costs, wherever it leads. Would you bow your head?
Let's pray together. Father God Almighty, I come to you in Jesus' name asking you to forgive us for our whining, for our complaining, and our lack of courage. Forgive us for the excuses that we have made not to take a stand. Lord, show us how to take a stand for your truth in love. And Father, use us to make a difference. I pray, Father, that it's not too late for our culture. I pray, Father, that you will bring an awakening to our land. Let it begin with us. Father God, if it is too late, I pray that we will purify your church so that we will be ready for your appearing when you come. And you will be able to say to us as a family of faith, well done, good and faithful servants. I pray this in Jesus' name.